Welcome to the weekly update, where we go in-depth in a particular topic. Joining me today for this week's podcast is Senior Workplace Relations Consultant Maria Coppolas. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Daniel. So, Maria, you've done this before. I'm going to show you a picture up on screen, and you're going to guess what this week's podcast is. Uh, okay, so um, the clue is a picture of party mix lollies. Um, so I, I'm not sure what um, the topic would be today, uh, but I'm suspecting it's somewhat of a mixed bag. It's a good pickup. So um, unlike the party mix lollies, which only last a hot minute in the VHIA office, and it's a big nod to our friends Yvonne and Maddie, uh, Maddie White in particular in the VHIA office, who do love a, a good party mix uh, bag of lollies on a Wednesday afternoon, um, it is a mixed bag. Uh, and it is a mixed bag because we're talking about three different clauses today out of the medical scientist agreement. The annual leave clause, which is found at clause 61, the personal and carers leave clause, which is found at clause 64, and the parental leave clause at clause 70. Okay, thanks, Daniel. I understand it would assist members if they had a copy of the agreement in front of them. That's correct. And the agreement, which is titled the medical scientists, pharmacists and psychologists, Victorian public sector, single interest employers enterprise agreement 2021 to 2025 can be found on the VHIA website. As mentioned earlier, the clauses that we're focusing on today are clauses 61, 64 and 70. So we've got quite a bit to get through. So let's start with clause 61 annual leave. So what we'll do is we'll go through the subclauses in detail, uh, but an overview of the changes for annual leave are as follows, and we'll show them on screen. So it includes a term which allows now for uh, annual leave to be taken in part day periods. Secondly, uh, that annual leave shall not be unreasonably refused, and that minor changes to language around excessive leave uh, and payment on termination, and finally, some minor redrafting to amend capitalisation. The members should now have a, a copy of an agreement in front of them. So um, should we start by taking members through the clause? We should. So the first change is uh, with respect to the inclusion of a term which allows for annual leave to be taken in part day periods. And that's found at subclause 61.4. And we've got that up on screen for those of you that are watching as opposed to listening. Uh, but for those that are listening, it's at 61.4 at C and it provides that annual leave can be taken in hourly fractions for part day periods. So this wouldn't create too much controversy um, given that annual leave is accrued in hours. Uh, it may suit employees to have employees, particularly those with large balances, to take annual leave um, on part days um, or for smaller fractions. Look, I agree. Um, and it allows flexibility for employees, which is important. For example, if they have ad hoc responsibilities that fall outside other types of traditional leave. Um, so the next change provides that annual leave shall not be unreasonably refused. That's correct. And this is found at subclause 61.4, and we provided that again on screen. And it's at subclause B, and it provides that annual leave shall be taken at a time determined by mutual agreement between the employer and the employee. The employer must not unreasonably refuse to agree to a request by the employee to take paid annual leave, including requests for single day absences. So naturally, we'd anticipate that annual leave applications are dealt with um, without many issues, but there may be appropriate circumstances where an application for annual leave is refused. That's correct. And it may be due to the leave occurring during a peak period, such as Christmas or New Year's, or whereby granting the leave would create staffing uh, or service delivery challenges. 
Uh, and these are dealt with on a case by case basis. That's right. And and what we wouldn't what we would say, sorry, is that it's not best practice to unilaterally refuse annual leave requests simply because it, for example, falls within a peak period. So this takes us now to um, to a change which provides for minor changes to language around excessive annual leave and payment on termination. So what we might do is we might start with the minor changes that deal with uh, the, the changes related to payment on termination. And these exist at subclause 61.7. And that's shown on screen. Um, helpfully, the title of that clause is proportionate leave on termination of employment. Provides that where employment ends, the employer must pay the employee for any untaken paid annual leave at the amount that would have been paid had they taken that period of leave. So that clause has been simplified to provide that rather than the previous agreement, which required a calculation of one twelfth of their ordinary pay if they terminated with less than 12 months of service, the employee gets paid regardless of their length of service, any annual leave owing as if it was taken at the time of termination. And that would bring this cohort into commonality with the NES uh, and also our other Victorian public sector agreements. That's right. Um, and the second change was the addition of language at Clause 62, which is a new addition dealing with excessive leave accruals. Now, members would have seen these clauses before, so we won't go into great detail. But in short, at Clause 62.1, it sets out that an employee has an excessive leave accrual if the employee has accrued more than 10 weeks paid annual leave or 12 weeks paid annual leave for shift workers. And the clause also sets out the limits on a direction by an employer. Correct, and that found at subclause 62.2, uh, and it provides, and we've set that out on screen, at 62.2a it sets out that an employer may direct the employee in writing to take one or more periods of paid annual leave. It continues at b, uh, and this is around those limits, that the employee cannot be directed to reduce the annual leave to less than eight weeks, that the employer cannot require an employee to take any period of paid annual leave of less than one week, that the employer cannot require the employee to take a period of paid annual leave beginning less than eight weeks or more than 12 months after the direction is given, and that the direction must not be inconsistent with any leave arrangement agreed by the employer and the employee. So I understand um, that the excess annual leave clause is consistent with the Health Professionals and Support Services Award. It is, and we've utilised modern awards as a base for many excess annual leave clauses during this round of bargaining. So this now takes us to the second part of the podcast, which is um, to do with the changes to personal and carers leave, which can be found at Clause 64. Yes, and the changes for personal and carers leave involve amendments to clarifying that an employee's paid entitlement accrues progressively over a year of service and accumulates from year to year. And secondly, a year of service definition inserted to recognise prior service for the purpose of determining the personal leave accrual. So the first change clarifying that an employee's paid entitlement accrues progressively over a year of service uh, and accumulates from year to year is provided at subclause 64.3b uh, and is on screen. Um, so what that says um, is that a full-time employee is entitled to uh, the following amounts of paid personal carers leave, which accrues progressively and accumulates from year to year. And, and the insertion of a year of service definition to recognise prior service for the purposes of determining the per personal leave accrual is found within the same subclause. That's set out uh, at the bottom end of that subclause in B, that in this clause 64.3, years of service includes recognised prior service for the purpose of determining an employee's rate of personal carer's leave accrual. 
and both of those changes introduced terms that existed elsewhere, including the NES. That's correct. Um, and the third and final part of the podcast deals with the changes to parental leave, which involved amendments to align with other agreements within the Victorian public health sector. We've included those on screen. So that included minor changes to language to remove gender-specific references regarding maternity and paternity leave. We've also made references now um, to primary carer and secondary carer. We increased the paid component of primary carer's leave from 10 weeks to 14 weeks and secondary carer's leave from one week to two weeks. We provided now that employer superannuation guarantee contributions are paid during unpaid parental leave, that paid parental leave must be taken contemporaneously with the birth or placement of the child or children, that a permanent employee must only require six months continuous service to access paid parental leave entitlements. The expanded definition of service, including service with other public sector employers, that employees request to return from parental leave early will not be unreasonably refused, and finally, changes to align with the national employment standards as agreed. And all of those changes are identical to like changes within other agreements. That's correct. So there were no changes within the parental leave component that haven't already been brought to the attention of health services through the implementation of other agreements, including a number of our other podcasts. So Maria, thank you so much for joining me today for uh, this week's podcast, uh, for taking us through the Medical Scientists Agreements, Annual Leave, Personal Leave and Parental Leave Clauses. Thank you, Daniel. Thank